somebody's angry or something, huh? Well, it's good to see you. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor here at Life Church. It's great to see you. And if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn me to the book of Jonah, uh, it's in the Old Testament. It's page number 192 in my Bible, if that helps you at all. 192, uh, it's in the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to start this uh, series called Marked. And uh, so before we get into that real quick, I just want to say a big, 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 big thank you to... Uh, uh, to all of you for all the birthday wishes and cards and gifts. Uh, it's been a really traumatic week in my life turning 40. Uh, yeah, I know, isn't that sad? I still look like I'm 25. Imagine that. And uh, so anyhow, but I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. The staff uh, just and uh, just overwhelmed me, uh, sent me and my dad uh, to Dallas, Texas uh, yesterday. Actually, I flew in this morning. Uh, to go to the Cotton Bowl. I was raised in Arkansas, if you couldn't tell by my accent. And uh, so I went and uh, called the hogs. Uh, You have to be from there to understand that. I I know. We did wear shoes yesterday, though, even though it was 75. And uh, so uh, anyhow, it's just been been, been a great week. I just want to say a big, big, big thank you. And I'm really excited about this new year. Um, And uh, I really think, and I know pastors always say, this is the best year. God's going to do this this year. There are some exciting, just some stinking exciting things that are going to happen. Stinking, that's a good Old Testament word. And uh, it's Hezekiah 3.5. And so it's just going to be some exciting stuff that's happening. I can't wait. Uh, matter of fact, I don't even want to preach. I just want to talk about some of the cool things that are happening. But I need to stay to, to what we have. And so uh, we're, we're, we're beginning this first week of this series. And what we're going to do for the next four weeks is we're going to walk through the book of Jonah. So if you've never read an entire book in the Bible, if you just come for the next four weekends, you will have completed an entire book of the Bible just by showing up at church. So that's pretty cool. And we're just going to take chapter by chapter and we're going to walk through. And, uh, and, and, and the, the, the whole idea behind this kind of came up from the whole thing of how Jonah's life has been marked or was marked by God and the experiences in life. And it's much like how if you know anyone who has tattoos, or if you have a tattoo, and, I, and, and that's a growing, growing trend, and as you saw in the video uh, spots leading up that I've had people text me and everything else, uh, did you get a tattoo? I guess you'll have to wait and see, and, uh, and, what, and all of that, but uh, no, I did not. Somebody's looking at me like, oh my goodness, Lord Jesus. <laughs> um, this isn't about tattoos. This isn't about being for or against. It has nothing to do with that. It's really about the fact that people uh, that choose to have tattoos, if you ask them, they always commemorate an experience or something that's happened in their life. Uh, and it may be something from their, you know, their youthful years. They go, well, I really wouldn't have, wouldn't have done that today. Or it's something this really happened or this happened. But they all tell a story. They all mark something that happened. And I got to thinking, and and there's a huge rise in our culture today of a resurgence of people going to tattoo parlors and getting getting tattooed, and and it's like, and I and you ask people that have tattoos, what? Tell me, what's the deal? They all, well, this one was for, and this one was for, and this one, and it's like this is telling a story. This is not just an expressive form of creative art. This is really something that is meaningful, and it got me to thinking. Life does that to all of us. Life tats all of us. Life marks all of us. And really, these tattoos tell a story. So do the marks of our life tell a story, the experiences of the journey. 
And, and so we've all been marked by past fears or failures or successes. And they've left a permanent imprint in our life and, and things that have done to us. And so we're going to unpack that. What do you do with that? And how does that work? And I want to make a statement that's going to be on the screen. Everyone has a story and everyone has been marked by something. Everyone has a story and everyone has been marked by something. Now, Jonah, the book of Jonah, it occurred about 700 years before Jesus comes onto the scene. And if you have your Bible, if you don't, it's going to be on the screen for you. But we're just going to walk through these 17 verses in chapter 1. Let's read read verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, Jonah was a prophet of God. And a prophet of God was not so much about predicting the future, but it was about a person who foretold what God was about to do. That's really what they did. They showed up on the scene and said, hey, here's what God's about to do. And the Bible doesn't give much insight into these people that call prophets, except into the book of Jonah. It talks more about the person than it does the message. It talks more about Jonah than it does the prophecy that he's supposed to give. So let's read on verse number two. So go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was basically kind of a collection of cities, about 120,000 in population. It was a nation of Assyria. They were known to being a warring nation, a very hostile people, uh, a very evil nation, a very multi-theistic, believed in many, many, many gods, did not worship Jehovah God, the the, the God that that Jonah worshipped, the God of the Old Testament. And what's interesting, too, is that throughout Scripture, most of the time, the prophets of God were sent to the people of God to tell the people of God what God was about to do in their midst. And that kind of makes sense. Since they believed in God, the prophet of God would come and say, this is what God's going to do uh, because it's what you've done. In this particular instance, God, Jehovah God, comes to Jonah and tells him, I want you to go to a people that don't worship me and probably don't even know me. Maybe know of me. And I want you to tell them, basically, that, that, um, that your wickedness has not gone unnoticed by God even though they don't believe in God. So it's kind of a pretty kind of hairy, audacious thing to do. Look at verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed towards Tarshish and went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for a port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to, leave, to flee from the Lord. Now look at that word, that, those first two words, but Jonah. But Jonah. If you mark in your Bible, highlight, whatever, take notes, just mark that somewhere. Doesn't this describe a lot of our own stories? God tells us to do something, (laughs) but we do the opposite. Even though we know we're supposed to go right, we go left. Even though we know we're supposed to go north, we go south. It's kind of like this. This is probably what I'd really like for you to do if you really want to go crazy in your Bible note-taking. It's in your notes or in your Bible. Do, Do this, but, and then put your name here. Put your name where Jonah's name is. But Because this is... I knew God wanted me to do this, but I did that. I knew God wanted me to go here, but I went there. I knew God told me that I was supposed to. I felt like I was supposed to do. I felt like this is what I was supposed to be a part of. I did this, but, right? We could all talk about the butts of the Bible, amen? You know what I'm talking about? And so I won't even go there. I'm filtering right now. But I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's just the deal of, of there's this thing where we go, I know God wants me to do. I know God told me to go. I know God told me to give. I know God told me to say. I feel like this is what, I felt like this is what I'm supposed to do, but... We have all of our reasons. And I want you to check this out. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, but he goes to Tarshish. Now, we hear those words, and it means nothing to us. So check out this map. 
you can see Jonah is at Joppa, right at the bottom of the screen. And God tells him to go to Nineveh, not too much further away. And probably really wouldn't require a boat ride, right? Where does he go? To Tarshish, 2,000 miles away. And just so you know, Tarshish was the edge of the known world because they still believed the world was flat at that time, right? So, so, so totally the opposite. Does that describe some of your lives? You're supposed to go a few miles over here to Nineveh, but you go all the way opposite. Thanks, guys. It's one of those things where if we're not careful, that's what happens. Let's, let's read on in verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break it, to break it up. Again, if you're underlining, writing things down, the Lord sent. The, the Lord sent. Just mark that in your Bible. Write that down. The Lord sent. God reminds Jonah that he can't outrun him. God reminds Jonah that he can't outrun him. Now, honestly, from a theological perspective, this entire chapter is about a word called sovereignty. It's a word called sovereignty. And basically, what sovereignty is, in a nutshell, just for the, just the bottom line, is that God is in control even in the storms. God is in control even in the midst of the storms. Let me say that one more time. God is, even, God is in control even in the midst of the storms. Even in the chaos, God's in control. See, sometimes we think, well, you know, that, that if I'm going to follow Christ, it's kind of like the good ship lollipop. Everything's going to be all right. Everybody's going to be okay. We're all going to be great and then going to be just wonderful and everything's going to, and the doors are always going to open and we're never going to have any opposition and it's all just going to work out and the bills are just going to, and it's just going to, it's just all, and this is great. Sometimes it's pure hell serving God. Sometimes you are in the midst of a storm. Now, I understand that, that, that Jonah is not doing what God wants him to do. And we may read that or you may read that and go, well, that's punishment. No, 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 no. It's not punishment. It's, it's a thing. It's, it's actually the sovereignty of God. It, and I'm, I'm going to unpack this a little bit more in a minute. God sent the storm. God allowed that to happen. God brought that to pass. Why? For his good. Now, I want you to understand something about sovereignty. And again, there's a, I could get, we could spend months and we would still not come to the end of this theologically. But in essence, sovereignty has two sides to it. There's two balances to it. One, it's the will of God. Okay? And it means that God's in control. God knows what's going to happen, what has happened, what is happening, and what forevermore will happen. But there's a thing, there's a thing to, to sovereignty that we're not just rock'em, sock'em robots, that we have free moral choice. Just like Adam and Eve did in the garden, just like you and I do every day, we can choose to serve God, we can choose to worship God, we can choose to love God, or we can choose not to. I mean, some of us made New Year's resolutions, and some of us are still on the wagon. Some of us have fallen off. And we chose to do certain things. We have free moral choice of what we want to do. We get to choose where we want to spend our time. We get to choose what we want to do with our life. We get to choose what we're doing with our, with our money. We get to choose. We have a choice. And so the, the same thing is true with the sovereignty of God. God's will is intact. God is in control. His will will be done. But the question is, 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 is you have a choice. You have a free moral choice to what are you going to do. God may tell you to go to Nineveh. 
and you decide you want to go to Tarshish. God's still going to have his word being spoken at Nineveh, whether either you do it or he sent someone else. And he will allow himself to work through you for a season of time. It's, but it's the sovereignty that God is in control. If I thoroughly confused you, because it's very, very difficult to, for me to even understand this. I, I know, don't, don't throw me stones. But, but it's just one of those things that at the end, end of the day, you have to understand sovereignty basically means that God's in control. And the two parts is that God's ultimate will will be done, but that you and I have an opportunity to do his will or not to do his will and to work in concert with him or not. And that's the human responsibility of it. It's kind of like a dad with a toddler. You know, the, the, the dad's playing with the toddler and, and the toddler's running and saying, you can't get me, you can't get me. And the dad at any point in time can scoop the toddler up, right? Or the toddler drops to the middle of the family room floor and puts a blanket over his head and says, you can't see me. And then you go, where is, you know, where is Ava? Where is Ava? I can't see Ava. You know, and they think because they can't see you that you can't see them. When the truth is that you could pull the blanket back at any point in time, you know exactly where they are. That's much like God and us, right? We think we're running around going, God, you can't catch me. God, you can't see me. God, when God allows us a certain amount of parameter, but at any point in time, he can just scoop in and, he, and, 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 and do anything that he wants to do. God makes his presence known by sending a storm. That's not punishment. It's not negative. It's God's making himself manifestly known. He's not being mean. This is the first of three signs of grace that God will give Jonah. Three is a huge number throughout this book. So let's read on in verse number five. And the sailors were afraid. I'll talk about that in a minute. And each one cried out to his own God. Notice the little, little lowercase God. And they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck. He lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. Notice lower KG. They don't understand Jehovah God, the, the God of the universe. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Now, sailors were notoriously known for being superstitious. Still, to some degree, would be. And, and, but in this day and time, would pick up good luck charms and gods, idols, at every port of call. And they were this way because the sea was known and represented uncontrollable chaos and fear. Because you were at its mercy. Storms could blow up. And again, you have to remember, this was pre-Doppler like Doppler radar systems and, 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 and weather warning forecasts and knowing what's going to happen. And, and, and really, and even, even believing that there was an edge to the world and, and, if, and, you, know, and you could just fall off. And, and there was this, so the sea represented this uncontrollable fear and chaos. And what's happening is these sailors, because of their own lack of knowledge of who God is, just begins to do exactly what they know to do. And that is try every single trick in the book to save their life. Isn't that much like people that don't know God today? I mean, think about it. You work with people, you see people who have no knowledge of who God is, and they try everything. They spend money, they spend energy, they'll throw up prayers, they'll pray to saints, They'll, 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 they'll go to here, they'll go to there, they'll read this, they'll read that. I mean, in this multi-theistic view of the world that we live in, that's the reason why we have that in our culture. It's so pervasive. It's because people don't really have a true understanding of who God, Jehovah God, the God of the Old Testament, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, who he is and the relationship that he wants. They just view him as another angle, another religious person, another one of the, of the, of the, of the deities, another one of the, of the theistic points of view that are options that are out there. 
kind of like choosing off of a menu, like at, at Cheesecake Factory. I mean, how many pages does it have? 27, right? And you're just going, well, I don't know what I'm really in the mood for, but I'll find something here. And if you can't find something, then you don't even need to eat, right? You shouldn't even be allowed to even consume food for the rest of the day because there's everything that you want, even light menu. And I don't know how they make cheesecake light, but they do it. And I don't even read the calories because I just think it tastes good. So even if it even if it's bad, don't tell me, right? But I mean, the, the, the deal is that's how people view that. And the reality is that's what's happening with these sailors. They're just trying anything they can. And so verse 7, the sailors say to one another, come, let us cast lots. Let's roll the dice and find out who's responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and it falls on Jonah. Again, they're, they're trying anything they can. I mean, think about how random that is. And so the sailors plan, let's, ca- let's cast these lots. They roll the dice and Jonah's number gets rolled. Again, another example of God's sovereignty, of God's pursuit. It's a second example of God's sovereignty, of his grace, is saying, hey, Jonah, I got your number. Hey, Jonah, I sent the storm. Hey, Jonah, I'm going to show and reveal myself to guys who don't even know who I am. They don't even know I exist. All they know are the lowercase gods, that's by the text. I'm going to show up in their midst, and I'm going to prove myself, even in the midst of their random, just manic activities, that it's your number, man. You ever been there before? Many of us, that's our story. Think about it. God tells you to go to Nineveh. You go to Tarshish. God tells you to go a couple hundred miles this way. You go thousands of miles in the opposite direction. You run from God. And all along the way, there are these warning signs, these indicators that the flashboard of of your, you know, the, the dashboard of your life is flashing. And it's reminding us that God didn't call you here. God didn't ask you to do this. Warning, warning, Will Rogers. You know, warning, you know, it's just kind of a deal. Why? Because at the end of the day, God is pursuing us. Because he has a plan for our lives. He wants to accomplish great things through us. And our humanity cries out. Our weaknesses, our failures, our, our just, just feet of clay, again, once again, get us running in the opposite direction. And it's just another sign. Hey, God's got your number. God's got your number. God's got your number. Maybe you're here today. And this is the first time I've been to church in a while. And you're like, man, did so-and-so that invited me to church, did they tell the pastor that I was going to be here? I mean, I have people do that to me sometimes. Like, bro, do you know, did my mom talk to you? Did so-and-so talk to you? Because, dude, you were all up in the kitchen. No. (laughs) Nobody talked to me. It's the power of God that's working through me in a sovereign state, unbeknownst to me, just simply saying, this is what I'm supposed to share this weekend. This is what I'm supposed to say today. And God shows up. Because he's got your number. And he's just telling you once again, hey, here's a warning lot. Hey, here's an indicator. Hey, hey, hey. So read on in verse number eight. So they ask him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is, your, where, where is your country? Who are your people? He answers, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. Notice capital L-O-R-D. The God, uppercase God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And, and this terrified them. I'll tell you why in a minute. And they ask him, what have you done? Because they knew he was running away from the Lord because he, they'd, he'd already told them so. You know why that freaked him out? It's because they're thinking, hold on. 
We're sailors. We get out in this chaos for a living. We have a smorgasbord of idols and good luck charms in order to try anything we can to tame this untamable sea. And you're running from the God who you says is the one who created the heavens and the earth and the sea that we're in. You're disobeying exactly what he wants. And you're going to get, you're running from a God who made the ocean and you're going to get on a boat Like, how stinking crazy are you? And when you think about it, you go, that is kind of crazy. And that's what just terrified these guys is there's no way these sailors would do that. Verse 11, and so the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to make, make the sea calm down for us? He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will calm down. And I know it's my fault that the great storm has come upon you. Let's read on verse 13. And instead, the men did their best to row back to land. They even thought that was too crazy to do. Uh, But they could not, and the sea grew even wilder than before. And they cried out to the Lord, Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing. Notice that they're they're talking to God now. Uppercase, I mean, they they become a believer. It's interesting how crisis will do that to you. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. In verse 15, and they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Like, if you ever get me on dry land again, I will throw away every idol that I have. I'll never say another bad word and I will call my mom, right? That kind of stuff. So the men throw Jonah over the, overboard as a latch stitch effort and Jonah hits the water. And what do you think he was thinking? Ever thought about that? Boom, he hits the water instantly. Instantly it becomes calm. Instantly the storms go away. Instantly he just begins to drop. I definitely think he thought, man, I hit rock bottom. I have messed up royally this time. Verse 17. And now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. But God. But God. It's in your, it's in, it's in your notes. Or even in your Bible right now. Now the Lord. If you're in the NIV. I like but God. It sounds a little bit more preachy. Like, but God. But God provided I want you to think about this for just a second. But God. Because I know there are some people that say, well, this is just an allegorical story. It's not really historical. It's not really literal. A a fish eating, uh, consuming a man, him staying in his digestive tract for somewhere around three days and then whatever. And we'll talk about what happens to him next week. Whether you believe it's real or not, the message is still the same. But, But I believe it's real. Let me tell you why I believe it's real. First of all, The Bible doesn't present it as a metaphor or an allegory. And it does present other stories as metaphors or allegories. So in Scripture, if they want to say this is a metaphor or an allegorical story, they could just simply say, hey, here's an allegorical story to teach the sovereignty of God or to teach the hand of God or to teach obedience to God. But the Bible doesn't preface it that way. And it does in other cases. Second, order never comes from disorder. Creation must be created. You go west and you see the Rocky Mountains and you go, there must be a God. You see the birth of a child and you go, there must be a creator. You look around at the world in which we live and you go, there has got to be someone who created the world in which we live. And if there is a creator, then nothing is impossible with him. And the third reason why I believe it's historical and literal and not not fictitious or allegorical is because Jesus himself presents Jonah as fact. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, 40, and 41, 
where he connects his three days in the tomb between the cross and between the resurrection with Jonah's three days in the well. I don't think Jesus would be playing games with that. So, for all of those reasons, and again, I believe the word of God is literal. We lean, on, we lean so heavily upon the word of God that if it were moved, we were to fall. But I want you to notice something more than just that. God provided. Provided. Now the Lord provided. Provided means prepared ahead of time. This is the third example of God's grace. This is the third example of his, of, of his sovereignty. The first time he sends a storm. The second time they roll, they roll Jonah's number. The third time, and again, three comes up again. The third time is God providing a way of provision out of this mess. God sends the storm. God, provide, God provides a fish. Even when we're running from God, he still cares and shows his grace. Listen, mom and dad who you have sons or daughters, who you raised in the faith and they've walked away from God. God's in the storm. God's in the fish. God is sovereign. He is not a man that he would lie. God holds the world, the Bible says, the psalmist David says, that the waters of this world are held in the hollow of God's hand. Nothing, nothing catches him off guard. Nothing discerns him. Nothing throws him off. He is God. He is sovereign. He is infinite. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is so far beyond our finite minds. And if you are running today, he's God. And he provided the storm. He provided the fish. He provided. And I'm get, and in the moment, it doesn't feel much like provision. In the moment, it doesn't feel much like sovereignty. It feels more like God's paying him back. Jonah, I told you to go to Nineveh. You don't want to go to Nineveh? Great. You want to go to Tarshish? I'll show you Tarshish. I will throw you into the belly of a well in the bottom of the ocean and make you cry out to me for three days. That's how we, in our life's not fair mentality, read it. But that's not what's happening. But have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like you're being swallowed up by the circumstances? You ever felt like that you're, 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 you're being consumed by everything that's around you? And yeah, when you're running from God in the opposite direction, there's going to be consequences. I mean, that's just the law of physics. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And it may feel more like, like punishment, but the reality is it's discipline. And there's a difference between punishment and discipline. God doesn't punish the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 12 says, that God disciplines those that he loves. So what's the difference between punishment and discipline? They both hurt, yes, but one hurts in order to destroy and the other one hurts in order to help. Let me, give you, let me show you this. Punishment is I'm just going to punish you. I'm just going to hurt you so that it's harmful to you. Because I need to get you back. I need to even the score. I need to, I need to avenge what you've done. But discipline inflicts a certain amount of pain in order to help you. Those of you that have started a new workout regimen, you are disciplining your body and it hurts, amen? Hallelujah, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I know what I'm talking about, right? All you skinny people, you don't even raise your hand or say amen right now, you're gonna make me mad. Just, yeah, mm -hmm. and they all laugh. <laughs> but it hurts. You go to the dentist, you do preventive things, you know, root canal or whatever, and it hurts. Why? But it's not trying to harm you, it's trying to help you. But in the moment, it hurts. And there are some things in life that just 
hurt. And there are times when the storm comes or, 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 when, or when the fish comes or when, when God provides things. And it may be that God is doing that and allowing those things to happen, but it, it hurts, but it's not to harm, it's actually to help. Now I could stop this message right here, put a nice little bow on it and just kind of go, let's pray. But I want to swim out to a couple of deeper waters. And I'm going to say something in the next moment that some of you are going to get mad about. Some of you are going to have to put in the rotisserie crock pot of your life and just let it marinate for a while. And some of you, it's going to turn on a light bulb to go, that's it. See, there are two groups in this first chapter. They're the Jonas. And this is true in life. Who've made bad decisions and storms have happened. And we get that. Spent too much money, went into debt, lose everything. Sad, yes. Do we wish it happens? No. But we go, hey man, I made these decisions and that's why I'm here. God told me to go to, to the one way, I went the other way. God told me to go to Nineveh, I go to, I go to Tarsus. Made some bad decisions, equals some storms. But the other group of people in this, in, this, in this first chapter are the sailors who made no bad decisions. And they're in the middle of the same storm. This kind of sets up the rest of the series. I don't know what's marked your life, but I want to make this statement. It's going to be on the screen. But there is nothing in your life that God, at the very least, has not allowed but you listen to this. There is nothing in your life that God, at the very least, has not allowed. One more time. There is nothing in your life that God, at the very least, has not allowed. I didn't say cause. But at the very least, has allowed it. At the very least, it's has, has touched the fingers of his hand. And this can create crisis or comfort for you. Because your mind goes to the marks, goes to the loss, the abuse, the divorce, the pain, and the suffering. And whether you're Jonah or whether you're the sailor, you ask the question, how could a good God allow this? If that is what he allows, he's not a good God. How could we lose a child? How could we the marriage fall apart? How could I lose what I've worked for? How, it, you know, what about the car accident that took the loved one? What about this situation? Are you telling me, Aaron, that there's nothing, even those things, that in, in my life, at the very least, God hasn't allowed? Because I've wrestled with these emotions. I've wrestled with these thoughts. I've wrestled with these feelings. I've wrestled with them as a pastor trying to console and comfort someone. I, I've wrestled with these personally with the own things that I've had to deal with in my life and in my family. But let me ask you a question. Is it possible that in those moments of your life that you felt like God was cursing you, punishing you, hurting you, were actually the moments that God was using to show his grace through? Even though it may not have felt that way in the moment, you look back. Is it possible that through all the marks, through all the experiences, through all the tattoos of life, that Romans 8.37 is still true? And Romans 8.37 says that no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In 
all these things. Not by, not as a bystander, but in the middle of all the junk, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the belly of the whale, in the middle of the problems, in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the loss, in the middle of the failure. See, these moments were not meant to conquer you, but you were designed and meant to conquer these moments. These moments were meant to serve you, not you them. That's redemption. That's what what redemption means, that God can redeem. God can take the evil. God can take the hurt. God can take the pain, and he can turn around and use it for our good. That's the message of the cross. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, took on all the pain of the world. Why? Because he loved us. He bore our pain. He took on our pain. The chastisement, Isaiah says, that caused him pain, that the, the, the evil, the sin, everything that you and I have ever done wrong, he took it on, even though he did nothing wrong. For us, he's like the sailor in the first chapter. I didn't cause this. I didn't try this. I didn't do this. We're the Jonas, he's the sailor. See, nothing has happened in your life that God doesn't have the ability to redeem. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Here's how I want to end today. I just want you to take just a few minutes. I'm not going to do a, an altar response. I'm just going to ask you just to right where you are, though, to process that chapter. Because every one of us have our storms. Every one of us have our Ninevehs and our Tarsuses. Every one of us have our but God moments in life. Maybe you're in the middle of yours. Maybe you're about to be thrown overboard. Maybe you're about to be swallowed by the well. Maybe you are just about to get on the boat. I don't know where you are in the journey. But I'm telling you, God is in control. He is sovereign. That doesn't mean that we're rock'em, sock'em robots controlled by God by some heavenly joystick in the cosmics. It means that we have free moral choice because he loves us and he allows us to do that. But he chases us. He pursues us. Every other God of this world, humanity pursues him. Except for the God of the Bible. That's the God who pursues humanity. Why? I don't know. The Bible says just because. And I just want you to take a couple of moments. I want you to reflect. Maybe you need to ask God for help. Maybe you need to ask God for clarity. Maybe you need to ask God for forgiveness. Maybe in just these few moments, you just need to release some things that you don't understand. And you may never understand because his ways are higher than our ways. Maybe there's just some things you need to let go. Maybe there's just some things you need to begin to unpack and process through.
Because there's been hurts and pains and failure and abuse and loss and divorce and mistakes and things that have happened that you've really blamed God for. And you've pounded your fist and said, life's not fair. And I got news for you. Fairness ended in the garden. Life has not been fair since the Garden of Eden. And none of us got to have residency there. We live in a very unfair world. And there's only one, only one way that redeems any of that. And that's God. And to be honest, there are times that even in his redemptive ways, we only know in part and see in part. We don't fully understand. That's why it's called faith. That's why it's by faith that we're saved. So I want you to take a couple of minutes as we sing a song or lead you in a song. And um, then I'm going to come back and pray.
together for my good you make all things work together for my good you make all things work together for my good you make all things work together for my good Lord You created us. The Bible says in your image, we are created. And all throughout scripture, Lord, we see that, Lord, you are a God who has, who's emotional, who is, uh, who is empathetic and sympathetic and, and compassionate and all of these feelings and the emotions. Lord, we even see, Lord, as Jesus walked this earth, a man who laughed, a man who cried, a man who was broken, a man who was powerful. Lord, you've given us all of these emotions, all of these responses. God, you've given us a mind and an intellect that you don't want us to shelve and just to, to put on the back burner. But in all of that, Lord, sometimes it complicates things and sometimes we overthink and we underperform and, and there's all of these in, inadequacies that, that happen in our lives and questions, and what ifs, and how about this, and I don't understand that. And Lord, even in my own life, as I, the older that I get and the longer that I live, live the, more, Lord, the more things that I have questions about and the, less, the fewer answers that I have. And God, I just tend to lean, Lord, to your word. Because in this world in which we live, there's such uncertainty, and it seems that in its teaching and, and in my experience, that it's the only thing, that you are the only thing that remains the same, that's unchanging. And your word says, Lord, that we can come to you at any time with any need and that you will listen and you will respond. And sometimes your response is not what we want. Sometimes your response is not really even what we expect. But God, you will respond. And one of the responses of your word, Lord, is peace that passes all understanding. And I know in my own life, God, there have been times where it's been your peace that's quieted the storms. I still have questions. I still have, 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 have processes and things that I don't really completely understand but I just have this peace that passes understanding that brings about a faith in my heart that even when I may lose hope I've never lost my faith even when I lose the ability to believe in me Lord and 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 in my certainty God that I'm able to lean to know that you Lord are still at work and that you God are still sovereign even in the storms God even in the fish God even in the in the midst of, of the world in which I live in so I just pray, Lord, for every person in this room, emotion, feeling, passion about this subject, God, that you, Lord, who has led them on this journey, God, would um, bring peace. It may not bring complete resolution, but let there be peace on this journey. And I pray, Lord, that you would give direction and insight into next steps 
And then, oh God, that you, oh Lord God, would just reveal yourself. Just as we're going to discover in the life of Jonah, how you provided, how you revealed, how you pursued. Lord, in our own lives, you do the exact same thing. And I pray, make those things real in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.